0: Africa Climate Conversations. The podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Africa Climate Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. Now, today I thought it very important for us to speak about loss and damage. As you will recall, last year after 30 years, yes, 30 years, finally a fund was established on loss and damage at the COP27 in Egypt and the upcoming COP28 is very critical as the transitional committee will be making recommendations on how to implement both the new finance arrangement and the loss and damage fund for consideration and adoption at COP28. But we cannot talk about the loss and damage fund without talking about the realities that we are all in. Yes, all of us, not just in Africa and other developing states, but also all of us together as a global community. So I have no guest today, so it's just you and I. And so, Karibu sana, welcome to the show. If you look at what is going on today, there is no reasonable doubt that climate has warmed and if this trend continues we won't just be speaking about the future generations but also ourselves and having no home scientists one that global temperatures have surpassed pre-industrial levels by 1.2 degrees celsius remember 1.2 degrees means double temperatures for some regions like the sahel Extreme events like drought, floods, cyclones, tropical storms, forest fires, are evidence that human activities have significantly increased global temperatures as their intensity, frequency, and scope has increased globally. This year, Africa, North, and South America, Asia, experienced their warmest August between 1910 and 2023. This is according to records by the National Centers for Environmental Information of the United States. Other reports such as the 2022 report by the UN Convention to Combat Desertification indicate that the number and duration of droughts have increased by 29% since 2000, with weather, climate, and water hazards accounting for 50% of disasters and 45% of disaster-related deaths from 1970 to 2019, primarily in developing nations. Now the Horn of Africa is still recovering from the drought that struck Somalia, Ethiopia, and Kenya between 2020 and 2023. In 2022, the rainy season was the driest in more than 40 years, and an estimated 43,000 Somalis died. Countries such as Kenya are presently on high alert for the upcoming El Nino, which is predicted to hit the Horn of Africa between this October 2023 and January 2024. Now, Kenya last experienced El Nino rains in 1997 and 1998, which resulted in a nine million US dollar loss in addition to fatalities caused by outbreaks of water-related diseases like cholera and malaria. Now, when it comes to El Nino and flooding, Northern Africa has experienced its fair share of floods and landslides this year. A month ago, Tropical Storm Daniel caused the deadliest flooding in Libya. In more than a century, we saw strong winds and heavy rain for causing the collapse of two dams, which resulted in flooding that devastated homes, hospitals, roads, power lines, you know, killing more than 11,000 people and leaving thousands unaccounted for. In July this year, we saw 15 people dead in morocco's atlas mountains south of marrakesh after their van was buried by a landslide triggered by heavy rains in august of this year again catastrophic floods and mudslides claimed the lives of 51 people in four districts in Bangladesh. we saw 58 people in haiti die as well as we've seen japan Tajikistan, china afghanistan bhutan india south korea turkey indonesia nepal pakistan and iran to name just a few of the countries that have experienced flooding just this year not only are floods cyclones and droughts devastating nations the world economic forum says that forest fires are becoming more prevalent consuming nearly twice as much tree cover as they did 20 years ago algeria has experienced at least 97 fires this year alone resulting in deaths of about at least 34 individuals. Tunisia and Morocco have also reported wildfires, while 15 people have been killed by forest fires in northeastern region of Kazakhstan. We've also seen Greece, Italy, Spain, and even Canada in North America, also reporting deadly wildfires. Scientists have been warning for a very long time now that the world's glaciers are melting at a very rapid rate. And when these glaciers thaw and melt, the sea level rises along with devastating water shortages. The most recent information is that the Himalayas could lose up to 75% of their volume by the end of this century. According to the International Center for Integrated Mountain Development, which is based in Kathmandu, 12 rivers flow from these mountains. Now if glaciers melt this rivers will be affected and hence availability of fresh water for 240 million Himalayas residents and an additional 1.6 billion people downstream will be affected Now when these catastrophic occurrences occur they leave a trail of economic and non-economic losses and damages Economic damages such as destroyed infrastructure, such as roads, hospitals, schools, bridges, crops, livestock, and even revenue loss, which is quantifiable. Non-monetary damages also such as loss of life, culture and traditions, culminating in an untold mental health crisis as people are increasingly compelled to relocate owing to climate change cannot be quantified. The good news is that after 30 years, my friends, a new financial mechanism and a loss and damage fund to aid developing nations was agreed upon at the 27th un climate summit which took place in shamal Sheikh in Egypt. now a transitional committee is expected to give recommendations on how to implement both the new finance arrangement and the fund this year in dubai for consideration and adoption at cop28 well nations have progressed to this point but creating a fund is one thing And now the most complex thing is making that fund a reality. We've seen European nations already commit more than 300 million US dollars. However, in order for this money to flow, the fund must be established. The institution architecture and administration of the fund must be agreed upon. And the sources of fund too has to be recognized, right? Now, already the 24 member transitional committee drawn from all geographical regions have been meeting. Their key role, according to UNFCCC, is establishing institutional arrangements, modalities, structure, governance, and terms of reference for the fund. They'll also be defining the element of the new funding arrangement and they'll also be identifying and expanding sources of funding as well as ensuring coordination and complementarity with existing and new funding arrangements. The committee recommendations expected in Dubai are significant and critical because with frequent climate-related extreme events occurring frequently, losses and damages are accumulating too. For example, in Bangladesh, the Ministry of Disaster Management and Relief says that the devastating floods and landslides in Bangladesh caused an estimated loss of $176 US dollars in housing, an estimated damage of 230.8 million US dollars in agriculture and livestock, and an estimated loss and damage of 55.7 million in water, sanitation, and hygiene services sector. Now, these are monetary losses and damages resulting from a single extreme event. When you think about such huge losses and damages and the issue of climate justice, then you can't help but wonder how much money will such a country receive? Is the loss and damage fund going to look into accumulated damages and losses as well, you know? And also when it comes to science and monitoring loss and damage, there is a science of attribution, which the scientific community says extreme event attribution is not ready for a major role in loss and damage. Well, next episode, we'll try and discuss the science of attribution with a scientist, but it's important that countries are supported to monitor and spell out attribution clearly if this is the science that will be used to monitor loss and damage. The Reason being, how effectively these losses and damages are monitored directly affects the efficiency of compensation. For example, the question is, Will compensation be conditions to providing evidence that the loss and damage incurred by any developing nation that is seeking compensation is as a result of climate change, which wealthy nations have historically been liable for? This is in consideration that data is hard to come by in some regions and that capacities to conduct research are not the same in all geographical regions. Also, it's critical in answering how non-monetary loss and damages such as the loss of indigenous cultural heritage will be assessed and compensated for in a mutually acceptable manner as well as accounting and compensating for irreversible damages. There are also issues with some of developing nations, such as particularly small island developing states, has said that the current climate financial architecture is largely failing to meet their needs. Should modalities of access to the LD fund be considered to ensure that most vulnerable groups, such as the seeds, have quick and effective access to these funds? Access to current climate finance, according to African states, has been a major concern too. How will this fund be monitored to ensure that it is not only available, but also accessible to cushion particularly African countries from having to delve deeper into their pocket to shield or rebuild their communities and nations without them sinking more into debts? Therefore, it is critical to consider what form these funds will be in. Is it in form of grants or is it in form of loans? There are also other funds such as uh, the newly launched world bank managed global shield financing facility that was launched at cop 27. it is actually comprised of seven developed countries and 58 vulnerable country economies how will governments ensure that such new funds and already funds that are existing under the unfcc mechanism are aligned coordinated and tracked to ensure lnd funds are flowing in order to avoid repeat of the push and pull we've actually seen with climate financing pledges such as the $100 billion that was made in Copenhagen. Now, the argument on loss and damage is that the Global North owes and should pay a climate debt to the Global South. Why? The Global North has developed at the expense of the Global South, whose contribution to the climate catastrophe in terms of emissions is tiny in comparison to their Northern counterparts. These are some of the questions that makes the work of the committee and their recommendations very, very critical. Now, this loss and damage compensation, which is part of climate justice issue, goes back to the UNFCCC Treaty, which acknowledges both the Global North and the Global South's contributions and responsibilities to the climate crisis. It is founded on the UNFCCC premise of shared but differentiated responsibilities and respective capabilities which emphasizes the importance of addressing the global challenge of climate change in a fair and equitable manner. As a result, it is the obligation of the Global North to support the Global South with funds, technology transfer, capacity building to implement climate policies back at home or to even handle rising loss and damages. And these economic losses and damages have been quantified. Overall, the Loss and Damage Collaborations calculated midpoint estimates of economic loss and damage in global south countries suggest that losses totaled 425 US dollars in 2020. And by 2030, these losses and damages will be at 671 US dollars. But the reality in accessing funds has been a challenge and the hope is that accessing the loss and damage fund will be better right often nations have pledged but while some have honored their pledges some have not come even closer year after year despite being among the biggest polluters if anything covid crisis and the Russian invasion against Ukraine has proved that money exists but Is dealing with the climate crisis or enabling developing nations to adapt, mitigate and recover from the climate crisis even a priority? The U.S. government, for example, made available 4.6 trillion U.S. dollars to help the nation respond and recover from the covid pandemic we've also seen since Russia's invasion against Ukraine the Biden administration and the US Congress has directed more than 75 billion US dollars in humanitarian financial and military support to the crisis of which 46.6 billion has gone to military these numbers are as recorded by the Kiel Institute for the world economy based in Germany therefore the recommendation of the transitional community and what happens in and beyond dubai as far as not just actualizing the loss and damage fund but making it accessible is critical for climate justice rebuilding trust and that communities and nations are supported to rebuild better and sustainably and that's all I had for you today. So thank you so much for joining me. Remember, this podcast episode is available on Spotify, Apple Podcast podcast addict and every other platform you access your other podcast from now some news concerning google podcast yes you can still access your podcast from there but google podcast will discontinue in 2024 they've said that for those accessing us through the platform please note that though you can still access us through the google um, podcast please note plenty of other platforms you can access us from including our website www.africa climate conversations.com we will keep on updating you on these loss and damage issues um and major issues as we head to the core issues that are very critical uh, for developing nations and remember if you want to get in touch with me my email is info at africa conversations.com otherwise i sincerely do appreciate you for joining with me thank you so much for listening i'll talk to you soon kohiri for now my name is sophie mbogwa Africa Climate Conversations.